The Take What Serves, Leave the Rest podcast is sponsored by Prairie Care. You know, going through the process of getting help with your mental health can be very overwhelming. I definitely know that from firsthand experience. Prairie Care can help guide you through it and get you in touch with the help that you need. They've been offering mental health services to all ages in the Twin Cities of Minnesota since 2005. Whether you're looking for clinical services, a specialty outpatient program, or a more intensive level of care like inpatient treatment, Prairie Care has you and your family covered. Visit prairie-care.com to learn more. That's prairie-care.com. Hello there, my friends, and a big welcome into this episode of the Take What Serves, Leave the Rest podcast. My name is Brian Pyatt. I'm your host, and um, so glad that you're here. Spending a little bit of time right now up in uh, Lakes Country of of Minnesota, and I tell you what, the the fall colors up here over the last couple of weeks have just been incredible, and so been soaking that up. Um, maybe where you're listening has some pretty beautiful fall colors for you to look out and enjoy as well. And uh, just uh, just so glad that you're here. On the episode today, we are talking to my friend Lindsay Young. And Lindsay is a staff writer for the Minnesota Vikings. And she, during COVID, um, during the pandemic, organized a, a mental health series within the team called the Getting Open series. And a number of people within the Minnesota Vikings organization, players, um, front office staff, a number of different people opened up and shared their experience, their journey with mental health. It was it was really, really powerful stuff. And um, Lindsay talks more about that here in this episode. And, and more importantly, talks about her own personal experience with anxiety and depression. So honored that, um, that she came on the podcast. She's been sharing her, her story publicly for a little bit now. And um, I know it's helping a lot of people. And I um, just so appreciate her openness in, in this conversation. Uh, we go into a number of different things in this chat. We talk about reaching out to other people when things are really, really hard. I know that can be really, really difficult for a lot of us, myself included. Um, she she talks about a really awesome kind of system that she has worked out with one of her friends to let each other know when they're having a hard time without having to open up and share everything um, that I think you might find really helpful Uh, We talk about health anxiety in particular during parts of this conversation, which is something that um, I know I I haven't really talked about a ton on this podcast, and I know a lot of people struggle with it. And so uh, we go into that and just more about um, a couple of specific periods in Lindsay's life where things have been really, really hard and and the tools that she draws upon to, to maneuver those really, really hard times. I hope that you take something from this conversation, my friends. I hope that it serves you in some way. And um, let's go ahead and begin my chat with Lindsay Young. Lindsay, thank you so much for um, for taking the time to, to connect. What an honor to be able to sit down. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I know... We've been in touch. I know we were trying to kind of figure out like what year it was that yeah. we first got in contact. I know you had reached out to me after after I had opened up about some of what I've gone through when it when it comes to my mental health. And it's just been so wonderful to be in touch with you ever since. And um, just so cool that we get to sit down and have this conversation. Yeah, I totally agree. I know you seeing you share your story like really kind of encouraged me and 
um, made me feel comfortable to talk to you about some things. And it's kind of been cool to see like what's happened since then and just the way that different things have happened, good and bad, and just sort of like where I've come with my journey too. Yeah. And we're, we're going to, we're going to get into all of that here. And I, I want to, I want to go back. I know we kind of talked a little bit before we actually sat down and hit record on this. Mm-hmm. And and you had said that there have been many chapters to your mental health story, which I know a lot of people can probably relate to that. Um, starting in childhood, did, did, was it, were there things that you noticed as a kid that, that were coming up for you? Yeah, I feel like at the time, obviously, I didn't identify it as anxiety. Yeah. But like I did notice at least that like things bothered me or made me upset or stressed out that didn't seem to bother my friends and I didn't really understand why certain things were so easy for them Mm -hmm. Um, and so like looking back later I could definitely tell that those things were you know I was a sensitive child but also that anxiety piece as well Um, I have this really distinct memory that's kind of funny of I don't know how old I was, but pretty young. And I remember like my sister and I, we shared a room at that, at that time. And my parents came in and, um, they were basically surprising us with like, Hey, like, guess what? Like dad's off work today. And like, we're going to go to camp Snoopy, which (laughs) is now Nickelodeon universe, but camp Mm -hmm. Snoopy is so much cooler. And like, I remember my sister being so excited. Like, this is the coolest thing ever. And I honestly didn't feel excited at all. Like, I just kind of had this feeling of dread. Like, I think the sort of surprise of it and not being mentally prepared and then mm-hmm. being nervous about, like, the noise and the rides and, like, just really didn't know that I was going to like it at all. And I got, like, really upset. And I can remember just sort of processing, even at that time, like, like, this feels like the wrong reaction. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm supposed mm-hmm. to be excited about this, and I'm not. Um, and then just things like going to friends' houses for sleepovers. Like, I always did, but I would get soup, like a really bad stomachache mm-hmm. beforehand and, like, kind of regret my decision and be like, maybe I should just stay home. Um, so just things like that. Um, and when I was, like, in middle school maybe I went to like a very small Christian school with like a tiny class of like 13 kids Mm -hmm. but I can remember like sitting in classrooms and just kind of feeling this like feeling of being trapped Mm -hmm. and like the whole idea of like oh if you have to use the bathroom or something like you have to ask a teacher and like that whole thing was like terrifying to me that I didn't feel like I could you know just exit the room and so that's when those feelings kind of started setting in and and like that sort of anxiety has kind of ebbed and flowed but like still becomes a thing kind of for me and so it's interesting to see like which things from childhood have kind of stayed and then which things have kind of fizzled away and other things maybe have stepped in yeah it's always interesting isn't it to kind of look backwards and hindsight is always 2020 exactly you you kind of look back into your into your childhood but um i can relate a lot to that the sleepover thing yeah. That used to cause a ton of anxiety for me as a kid, too. Yeah, and kids would be so excited about it. Yep. I remember being excited about it, like, when we would be, like, planning it or my friend would ask me, but then, like, leading up to it, I'm like, I just don't know about this. Yeah. Like, And I would feel so sick. Um, And my parents, my mom especially, because my mom stayed home with us, like, she was so great at kind of, like, talking me through some of these feelings and... Yeah helping me to associate. I think that I wasn't actually ill, Mm -hmm. you know, like Mm -hmm. I had an upset stomach from being stressed or from being anxious or whatever we called it. I just remember saying I was nervous as a kid. Like that's what I always called it. Um, and so that was like, my mom was really, really helpful in getting through those things. But I definitely just remember having this feeling of like, why is it so easy for everybody else? And like, it just feels like a lot. Yeah. So I know fast forwarding into, into college, you, you told me that that was a a really tough time for you. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about kind of what happened in those or what, what you experienced in those, in those college years? Yeah. So, well, I remember going to college freshman year. So I just went to the University of Northwestern in St. Paul. So Mm -hmm. still fairly close to my family. We're from Anoka. And 
It was definitely nerve-wracking, like, moving in as a freshman and doing that whole thing. And the first few weeks, I remember being really hard. But I did really enjoy it. Like, I enjoyed it freshman year um, and sophomore year. Like, made friends, enjoyed my classes. Like, not to say there were never tough days, because there were. But then, for whatever reason, junior year, that first semester was just extremely, extremely difficult. And I still can't like pin it on anything. It just was a super hard time where, you know, like I was having trouble leaving my room to go and meet like one of my closest friends for dinner at the cafeteria. Mm. Like this situation that was very like comfortable and every day And I was very, it was very much a part of my rhythm. Like all of a sudden seemed like this huge looming, like scary thing. And there were multiple things that I would sit out of or, or pass on and just not really want to like do stuff with my friends. Um, And then going to classes was really hard too. And when I had first started going to school, I still had that kind of feeling of like not wanting to be trapped and kind of like sitting near a door or something just to kind of put my mind at ease. Mm-hmm. And there were some professors where it was just kind of like a free-for-all. You could come in and sit wherever. And then there were some that actually had like a seating chart so that they could yeah. like see who was there every day. And I actually felt pretty comfortable in like chatting with some of those professors and just letting them know like, hey, like I deal with anxiety stuff. Um, at that point, I had been diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder at 14. So Mm -hmm. it was sort of this thing that I was used to um, and would communicate that. And so taking that step really eased a lot of that anxiety. Freshman and sophomore year was like, okay, I can sit in this spot, kind of just like eases my mind going into class. But junior year, it was just like none of that helped. Mm -hmm. I was taking all the normal steps and coping mechanisms that I knew and it just wasn't helping. And I can remember like staying in my dorm room and like skipping classes and just like laying in bed. And that just wasn't like me. Like I was, I'm like a rule follower. Like I was good in school. It just wasn't like me to like sit in my room and skip classes. And like, I just remember crying a lot and Mm. calling, calling my mom. And I just like, that was probably the first time where I sort of felt like, you know, you and I talk, Brian, like my Christian faith has always been important to me. And that's always been something that I've been able to kind of lean on even in really hard times. But that year was the first time that I think I sort of could resonate with people who felt really hopeless because at that point, like it had been going on for several weeks, a couple of months, and it just felt like, is this like my life now? Like all of a sudden, like it just took a turn and like, I can't get out of this like, anxiety brain ever um and so I really considered quote taking a break and not coming back for the second semester Mm -hmm. I feel like I talked about it with my parents but I can't really remember if I did or didn't but I do know that like eventually I came around to the decision like if I leave school, I am afraid that I'm not going to come back. Like in my mind, I'm saying, I'll just take this semester off, just kind of like restabilize. And then the next year I'll come back. And I was like, I don't know that I will. Like I'll go back home and I'll live with my parents and I'll be in my comfort place. And so, you know, I pushed through to stay there. And there was one math professor, um, Dr. Epright, and he like made such an impact on that school year because I went to him and I talked to him about what was going on and he was like if you need to skip my class just skip my class Mm. like if you need to sort of just recharge and like take the hour like in your room you know like as long as you're doing the work and if you need extra help like you can come and we'll do tutoring like he was just so supportive and so helpful and just that one sort of thing of like safety net of being like, if you don't want to come to my class or if you need to stay in your room, like that's okay. I feel like that in itself just sort of like took a little bit of the edge off. And, um, I was able to get through that next semester. Um, and then just kind of gradually things did get better. Like the, my senior year was good. I was crazy busy internships and capstones and stuff like that. But yeah, that junior year was really tough. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all that. And a couple things. It sounds like there's a, I'm hearing kind of a theme around being able to vocalize to another person that this is something that you're going through, whether it's those teachers that you kind of talk to about 
wanting to sit in a certain place in the classroom or whether it was this other professor who mm-hmm. said, Hey, if you need to skip my class, skip my class. Mm-hmm. seems like that kind of helps like loosen the pressure valve a little bit for you. Yeah. It, that always has for some reason. And I think part of it is, you know, I'm really open at this point about talking about these kinds of things, but still to this day, like if I'm in the midst of a really anxious time, like, mm-hmm. you know, I might shoot you a text and be like, man, like things suck right now. Yep. But then you or whoever I'm te- will say, oh, do you want to talk? Do you want to? And I'm like, nope. Like, yeah. <laughs> and so I think it sort of gave, I sort of had this panicky feeling of like, if I'm in the midst of something really anxious or if I don't feel well, or if I'm having this situation, I'm not going to be able to articulate what's going on. But if I give them sort of a heads up of like, hey, this might happen. If it does, here's what's up. Like yeah. that sort of ease my anxiety. And probably too, because like I am a rule follower, like mm. I'm definitely a people pleaser, like sometimes to a fault. And so the idea of like just leaving a classroom in the middle of like the yeah. professor speaking, like I didn't want to do that. That stressed me out. But if the professor knew that, hey, she's dealing with some stuff, like she might slip out and slip back in. That's no big deal. Like that was really helpful for me. Yeah. And I, I love what you said about, you know, shooting a text to a friend or somebody in your life where it doesn't need to be all the details of everything that's going on. It doesn't need to be like we need to have this huge conversation and dive into everything. It, it literally just might be a text mm-hmm. that says today is really hard. Yeah. And, and I... I, I have I resonate with that so much because I, I know that I have a tendency to like isolate when I'm in a dark place or really, really struggling. And and I think just letting another about I always kind of say like just letting another human on the planet know that I'm having a hard time mm-hmm. and kind of be like not having to go through that alone. Just something about that just really helps. Yeah, it does. I have one close friend who she also deals with a lot of mental health challenges and we have this like system where like if we're having a really hard day we will just text the other person the blue heart emoji Mm. and like that's it and that just Mm. communicates and like she'll send me like the blue heart i'm like i'm on it i'm praying for you like let me know if you need something and like vice versa where it's like there's no details expected like we get it and it's sort of just like yep i i hear you i'm here like if you need anything i'm here otherwise just like know that you know, I'm sending mm-hmm. you a hug or whatever. And so I've told that to other people too. I'm like, it's just so important. Like, even if you don't want to have a back and forth conversation about it, like mm-hmm. I find it really helpful and reassuring and somehow less scary. Like if I just let somebody know. So we kind of fast forward out of college, you you get to 2020. Mm -hmm. And I know, as you told me, 2020 was a really, really tough time for you as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, we were going through a lot of things at that time in the world. But um, can you can you let us in a little bit on on what that year looked like for you? Yeah, well, I think, you know, to be to be fair, I never want to put too much spotlight on myself, but I think 2020 was super hard for everybody. Yeah. Um, everybody was going through things, whether it be with the pandemic, um, a lot of the racial tensions and social justice things going on. Um, for me specifically, I've always dealt with a lot of health anxiety. And so the whole idea of COVID and the virus, and especially in the early months where hospitals were overflowing and people weren't able to get in and get care and there were people dying and there were people in um luckily I never knew like a close loved one who passed away but there were multiple people um in my life or my family's life or people that my parents knew um who did get really really sick or die and Mm. so that created a lot of anxiety for me and the biggest piece of it was this like paralyzing fear that not really that I was going to get sick, although, yeah, that made me nervous, but that I would pass on the virus to someone Mm -hmm. else in my life who Mm -hmm. wouldn't deal well with it. Mm -hmm. And so even when there was this talk early on about like some people might be asymptomatic or things like that, like that was actually scarier to me than if I were to get it and feel sick because, you know, I was, 
I was afraid to go and see my parents. Like I, um, my niece and nephew, they're twins and they were born premature. Um, and so, you know, they had lung issues when they were really young in 2016. And I just had this like crippling fear that like someone's going to get COVID or get really sick or be hospitalized or worst case scenario, die and it will be my fault. Mm. And those were like the ruminating feelings that I had. And so, yeah. Um, definitely had to work through that. Luckily, I wasn't completely isolated during that time because um, I do have a roommate and, and best friend, Bethany. And so we were able to kind of navigate that together. But all of that to say, in October of 2020, I ended up testing positive for COVID. Mm-hmm. And that was definitely um, an anxious time for me just in general, mm-hmm. having tested positive. And when I first tested positive, I definitely was very fatigued and stuff like that, but didn't have any like scary symptoms. Um, yeah. But definitely, we we're getting tested at work. And so we were getting tested really regularly, so caught it pretty early on. And then I did get really sick. Um, I'm lucky that I did not have to be hospitalized or anything like that, um, but did deal with that shortness of breath, just Mm -hmm. fatigue, um, overall feeling really icky, and was pretty okay for like the first few days. I just slept a lot and everything, um, but mentally handled it okay. I hadn't been around my family, and so that put my mind at ease. I hadn't really been around anybody. And so was doing okay with that. And then, um, one night I had a pretty bad panic attack and it hasn't been until a few years ago that I've kind of been able to articulate the difference between an anxiety attack and a panic attack. And Mm -hmm. I think people kind of use them like interchangeably, but there are some differences and just the panic attack being really, really intense. And, so that night I had a panic attack, was really dealing with the shortness of breath. So went to the doctor the next day. Um, he was able to, you know, listen to my lungs and everything and kind of say like, you know what, there is some inflammation there, but like your oxygen levels are good. I think it'll just kind of take care of itself on its own. Mm-hmm. So it really felt good. Like leaving there, I was like, okay, like I feel better. I've had this reassurance, really thought it would be fine. Um, that night in the middle of the night, um, had another panic attack Mm. to the point where I was, you know, in the living room, had woken up, Bethany was like, I need to go to the hospital. Like, you know, and kind of this back and forth, like I need to, no, I don't, I need to, no, I don't. And, um, ended up, you know, just being able to be talked down kind of there at my apartment. But the next like three, four Fives, I don't know. Like it was all kind of a blur, but multiple weeks um, just really went into this place of having double digit panic attacks a day. Like mm. it felt like I would go through one and finally get through it. And then another one would just like start up again. I remember mm. talking to my mom on the phone and like just sobbing and being like, it's coming again. And just yeah. like this feeling of like, I couldn't control it. And every time, like I thought I was dying and yeah. it was like, even though cognitively I knew these were panic attacks, like every time was so awful. Um, I wasn't able to eat, which is very odd for me. <laughs> Normally mm-hmm. I'm more of an emotional eater. So I want to eat if I'm anxious or depressed. Um, yeah. but I couldn't eat at all. The idea of food was completely repulsive to me. Um, so I wasn't eating, I wasn't sleeping, I couldn't work, um, I mm. really wasn't functioning. And at that point, I felt so alone and so, like I wasn't alone, I had such a great support system, yep. but at, I felt so alone, alone and so terrified that like, I never thought about killing myself or anything like that, but... I felt completely hopeless and I was like, I don't want to die, but like, if this is what life is, Mm -hmm. I do not want to exist. Mm -hmm. Like I can't fathom existing through this. Like it's just too much. There's no way. Um, and those thoughts were really, really scary. Um, I just couldn't see any light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to lose this job. I love cause I can't do it. Um, you know, and at that point I wasn't even really able to reach out to friends like I do if I'm having a bad day because mm-hmm. it was just too intense. And 
So yeah, that was, you know, sorry, I'm totally rambling, but <laughs> no, my friend, um, share everything that you want to. Yeah, yeah. So that was just a really, really intense time. And I can remember specifically one night I was like in the shower, just like sobbing, like exhausted, just wanted to go to bed, but I, I was afraid to go to sleep. I was just afraid I wouldn't wake up in the morning yeah. and, um, kind of like, just praying and saying to God, like, I don't know what's going on. This is awful. It's so scary. Like, if there's any way for any good to come out of this, mm. like, someday down the road, like, I hope that's the case. Mm. Um, and when I started to, you know, I, I got into a doctor, um, got me on some fairly intense medication right away, just like a two week thing to sort of help stabilize some things. Mm -hmm. Um, was able to get on a waiting list at the time for a therapist that I wanted to see just taking steps to sort of, um, come out of that little by little. And it was a very slow process, but I started to feel more in control of, of what was going on. And I'd probably say from October up to almost Christmas that year was, really hard to function day to day. Um, but one day I was laying in bed and I was scrolling through Instagram. And, um, so I, I guess we didn't mention it, but I work for the Vikings. Um, I'm a writer for the Vikings and one of our players at the time, Jalen Holmes, he had reshared this, this post on his Instagram story. And it was talking about, the symptoms of depression and things to look for, Mm -hmm. you know, like in loved ones and things like that. And I just really appreciated that he posted that. Mm -hmm. And so I sent him a message and I was like, Hey, like, to be honest, I resonate with a lot of this stuff. Like, thank you so much for posting. Um, and he messaged me back and said, you know, this is something I deal with personally. And like, I want to share these resources. Like if it can help somebody, you know, it's, it's worth it. Yeah. And we just kind of dialogue back and forth and it kind of became clear to me pretty quickly that he was comfortable talking about these experiences that he had had. And I had kind of always wanted to, in some way, talk about mental health or something through my job, but just never really knew what that would look like and didn't want to force it or anything. Um, but this opportunity just came up and I talked to other people within the Vikings organization. I was like, Hey, I want to do this story with Jalen. Like he's interested in sharing. And they were like, I wonder if we could do more than one story. And like, that Mm. was cool. Cause I'm like, not only am I getting support from work, but they're like, you know what? There might be, like a few opportunities here. Um, And so that was kind of really where things started to, I felt like I was able to kind of pull out of that extremely dark place and sort of have this motivation of like a project or something that I was working on. And so that then sparks the Getting Open series. Yeah. Yeah. For the, for the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah. That uh, was just such a beautiful project. And for, for, for anybody out there who, who hasn't heard of it or, or maybe didn't follow along when it was happening, um, you got a lot of people within the organization to really open up and talk about this stuff. Yeah. To be honest, more than I thought, like when it was suggested, Hey, maybe we, maybe this could be more than one story. I sort of sat down and thought about it and I was like, you know what? I think you're right. Like there had been, um, a a player or two who had represented like a mental health cause or a suicide awareness organization for my cause, my cleats. And so Mm -hmm. I thought those two names came to mind. Um, Adam Thielen through his foundation, he, um, works a lot to support, mental health resources for youth. And Mm -hmm. so I knew that was, so I kind of came back to the group and said, you know what, I think I could do probably four, maybe five stories and kind of do a mini series on this. And Mm -hmm. so got the go ahead, got the support, um, and started doing it. And before I knew it, like it ended up being 11 stories and it was really cool. Like on one hand I was like, it's kind of a bummer, right? To know that so many people like can talk about this stuff, but also it just was so encouraging that people 
we're willing to be vulnerable and share these things. And, you know, these are professional athletes. Like these are people who their teammates are going to see this, their coaches are going to see this. And they were perfectly willing to share. Um, One of my favorite stories was with uh, Tyler Conklin. He's with the Jets now, but he had been somebody who had represented suicide awareness on his cleats. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew it was because his, his uncle had passed away from suicide when he was very young. Mm-hmm. And his mom was involved with a lot of advocacy and stuff like that. So I approached him about that story. I would love to tell this story about your cleats, about your family being advocates, about your uncle. Um, and we kind of started having this conversation. And then he goes, you know, like, I really deal with some of this stuff too. Like I, mm-hmm. I actually deal with a lot of anxiety and I've never really talked about it, but like, I'd like to talk about it if it can help someone. Cool. And that like was so impactful to me because I didn't know that about him. He could have very easily just sort of kept that part yes. private and talked about his family and his uncle. And so those types of things were cool that I had people not only approaching me and wanting to talk about it, but like, trusting me to share their story because at the end of the day like it is their story i'm just adding in the grammar and the commas and and the punctuation but like it's their story and so i was so honored to be able to hold that and present those like it's definitely the most personal content that i've ever written and it was really cool to see the impact that the stories had, um, yep. we had some people send in emails or, or Instagram messages and things like that. And the cool part was everybody kind of resonated with a different story. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it was, Oh, Hey, I really resonated with the story you did with Eric Hendricks and his fiance, because my girlfriend deals with a lot of this stuff and it's been like tough to figure out how to support her, you know? Yeah. And so it was cool to see that there was kind of a story for everybody. Yeah. Um, and there was a really broad, you know, we interviewed white players and black players and men and women and, young people and Vikings alumni. And there was just a lot of variety, which was really cool. Coming back to, to your story a little bit, what, what helps you most day in and, and day out to, to maneuver whatever it is that, that that's coming up for you when it comes to your mental health? Yeah, I feel like there are certain things that are just sort of consistent, like habits or things that I try to keep up on just to sort of like stay stabilized or, and a lot of that, you know, is sleep, Mm -hmm. um, trying to get activity and exercise in, which has been a struggle for me lately. And, um, you know, especially since like getting a puppy and like being back at work and stuff like that, but, but getting in some type of activity, um, in my day is always helpful. Um, diet too definitely has an impact. I can tell if I, for me personally, like if I'm eating a lot of sugar, um, Mm -hmm. I struggle more with the anxiety piece of it. Um, same with caffeine and stuff like that. And I know a lot of people like caffeine is helpful for them and it's a habit for them, but like for me, it's just not a good thing. Um, so I, for the most part, stay away from that. Um, as far as like, if these tough days crop up, there are several different things that, um, can be helpful. Sometimes, like I said, it's reaching out to a friend or to my mom or, um, you know, to Bethany, my sister. Sometimes it's listening to music. Um, Mm -hmm. I really enjoy listening to different types of music, but I have, you know, some playlists on Spotify and stuff that are kind of my go-to for when I'm just feeling really anxious. Um, there are times too where I, all I want to do is just stay at home and sit in the house. And I know that that's not usually the best thing for me to Mm -hmm. like sit alone with my thoughts. And so sometimes I'll like make myself call a friend and say, let's go for a walk or even just get up and like go to target and like wander around or something like that. Because it usually gets worse if I'm alone and just Mm -hmm. kind of like spirals in a sense. Um, 
deep breathing has been helpful for me. So I use a couple different breathing apps. And I used to be in a really good um, rhythm of like doing those every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've kind of fallen out of doing it every day, but it'll be a couple times a week or especially if I'm having a hard day. Like I tend to find those, um, they're helpful in just at least slowing the physical part yeah. down. Because I think so many of us, when we get anxious, like your mind is racing, but that affects like how tense you are. And, you know, like I won't even realize how tight I'm like clenching my body um, or that I'm holding my breath or breathing too fast. And so it helps to take the edge off of those physical symptoms that for me can definitely add to the anxiety. So highly recommend those for people. Like if you haven't done the deep breathing, like it really does make a difference. Yeah. And I want to touch on, we haven't talk, talked a ton on this podcast about health anxiety. Yeah. And, and I know you, you touched on that, that that's something that you've, that you've experienced. Um, I know I, in, in my own way, have experienced that a lot more of it earlier on. Like as a kid, that was probably some of the earliest forms of anxiety that I started experiencing. Mm-hmm. But how, do you, how does it surface for you generally? Like when we say health anxiety, yeah. what does that usually, like what does that mean to you? I think it can, like, at least for me, it kind of means a variety of things. I mean, sometimes it's these very extreme fears of, um, oh, I have this, like, weird, like, twinge in my chest. Like, I might be having a heart attack. Or, like, what if my heart just gives out? Um, Mm. I, you know, witnessed a traumatic experience when I was um, in elementary school of um, a peer um, essentially suffering a heart attack, had a, you know, an undiagnosed heart, um, disorder, Mm -hmm. um, or defect, I guess. And I didn't really put two and two together until a few years ago where I was like, you know what, I bet Mm -hmm. that that has really impacted or, or triggered that fear that I've kind of had lifelong, like around my heart. Um, so there are definitely things like that. I've definitely had the, like, Ooh, I have a headache. Like, is it because I haven't drank enough water today or do I have a brain tumor? Like, and my brain wants to say the brain tumor is way more likely. Um, And so those types of things um, are hard for me to go to that extreme level. Um, I also just like I've always had this fear around like throwing up around other people. Um, And I think it's probably because like... um, like I've had experiences where I've been sick or like I get super, super car sick. Like, mm. sorry for everybody that I'm telling this to, but like I have on more than one occasion vomited on myself while yeah. driving down the street because I get so car sick and it just comes out of nowhere. Even and if so, you're driving. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So it's like, it's yeah. not good. It's yeah. not pretty. And so like, I, I just like have this fear. So like that anxiety will crop up um, if I'm like, going up to Duluth with friends and yep. I'm riding with them or something like that. Like I tend to prefer to drive myself or to kind of be in control. And it takes a lot more of those positive thoughts and coping to be able to just jump in a car with someone and, and feel comfortable with them. And that's something that I've worked on over the years. So that's something where it seems pretty minor, but it's definitely no. something that like has been, you know, consuming at different points in my life kind of ebbed and flowed, like I said. Can I just point out, too, that um, bus rides, like field trips as a child, the worst experience for me. I I was consumed with the fear that I was going to throw up on the bus. Yes. (laughs) And, like, I I mean, so many times as a kid, just these, what are quote unquote, supposed to be these like simple things as a child become these like massive, scary experiences, like just going on a field trip. Right. Like, you know, I mean, it's all, it's all consuming. Exactly. It is. And it's like, nobody likes to throw up. Right. But like it, it becomes this consuming like fear or thought of like, you're, you're not going to be sick, but like, um, and yeah, it's totally right. Like you said, I mean, field trips are supposed to be fun and it was always an anxiety inducer. And usually when I get to the thing, I would like have a great time, Mm -hmm. but leading up to it. Um, and even with work, like traveling for work, that's been tough for me sometimes too. Not every time, but it just kind of depends like that definitely can be an anxiety trigger for me, Mm -hmm. um, for sure. And it's definitely worse when I'm alone. 
Like mm-hmm. I can remember a few years ago going down to Pro Bowl and um, I was down there with coworkers, but we each had our own hotel room and just kind of having this late night panic attack over this weird like twitching muscle that I had in my stomach. Like it was totally, it was probably stress related to be honest, but just like I came up with all of these horrible things in my head as to what it was. And I was by myself. And so it's like, it, it just sucks when your mind kind of starts to spiral because you have this, you still have this logical part inside of your brain where Mm -hmm. you're trying to like slow things down and you're trying to like kind of override that anxiety voice, but it, is really hard. Yeah. So it's just that going from zero to 10,000. <laughs> yes. Really, really fast. Yeah. With just something as simple as a flutter of our heart yes. or a feeling on our skin. Or for me, it was, I remember a lot of, if like I was checking my lymph nodes all the time, if my lymph node was at all bigger maybe than what it was the day before, I was for sure had cancer. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, so I appreciate you going into that because yeah. I, we haven't really talked about that a lot on the podcast and it's, it's, um, kind of like you said, I, I feel like it to describe that to somebody from the outside looking in that maybe doesn't struggle with this stuff. It seems like it should be logical. Like you clearly don't have a brain tumor, mm-hmm. but it's like, that's not how it feels. Right. <laughs> like when right. you're in it, it feels so real. And it, and it, and like you said, there's like that part of you that kind of knows, like I'm probably overreacting to this. Mm-hmm. But there's this other huge part of us that just is completely consumed by it. Yeah. Consumed is definitely the right word. And there are definitely times too where I've like fallen asleep at night, like crying because I'm convinced I'm dying. And then I have a good sleep and I wake up the next morning. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm totally fine. Like, yeah. you know, And but yeah. it's like when you're in that moment, you're exactly right. It's hard to describe that to somebody. Yeah. And I think probably more people deal with it than we really talk about. And the tough part, too, with health anxiety is that anxiety and depression like cause these physical or can cause these physical symptoms Mm -hmm. that then play into that. Like you can have heart palpitations from anxiety. Well, like that snowballs pretty quickly or headaches or muscle tension or feeling nauseous. Like those things are all tough and so it really can snowball quickly before you really know it yep it's kind of like a i feel like the overarching theme that i've realized more and more as i've gotten older is it's like it's just this incredible hyper awareness or like hyper vigilance Mm -hmm. that my my brain and my body is like programmed to just it's so in tune to like everything that's going on in my body that um, that it just kind of it snowballs really fast sometimes I think you're right. And I feel like I actually, uh, like a year ago, I was having a conversation with a coworker and we were kind of talking about that same thing. And I go, do you ever just like lay in bed and just like feel your body, just like mentally, like feel like every aspect of your body. And she was like, yes, it's the worst Mm -hmm. thing. And it's like, and your brain fixates on this tiny little thing, you know, like even during COVID it's like, a tickle in my throat or like, you yep. know, like I sneezed and, and things like that. And it's just like your brain fixates on it. And I think, I don't know that I can say this for everybody. I can only speak for myself, but being a highly sensitive person too, I think a lot of times those things combine because yep. like we do feel things really deeply. Yeah. Um, good, bad, ugly, like all of the things. And Oftentimes, I'm really grateful for that, um, yeah. and I appreciate that quality of being able to have empathy and, and feel things deeply, but there's that flip side of it, too. As we start to wind down here, because um, I know you have to go to work. <laughs> this is a work day. Um, you know, you've talked about some of those moments in your life where you've felt hopeless, Mm-hmm. What, what today sitting here right now in this moment gives you hope? I think there are a couple different things. Um, I, I totally recognize that not everybody listening to this is going to share the same beliefs that I do. Yeah. Um, but for me, my Christian faith, mm-hmm. um, my belief in Jesus, that is very real to me and mm-hmm. that does give me hope. I think the other kind of like 
tangible everyday piece for me too is just um, this idea of all of us like helping each other and supporting each other and being able to be there for people. Mm -hmm. I think just because looking back in hindsight, not knowing if things would ever get better and not being able to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Mm -hmm. And like things are still hard. Like I still don't quite feel like back to where I was, you know, two and a half years ago. Yeah. But it's night and day from where it was in October, November, 2020, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I think I'm just so passionate about reminding people and telling people that like, even if you don't see it, like things will get better. And I know that you don't believe that right now because yeah. you can't see past like the darkness that's that you're in, yeah. but like it will get better. Um, And so I wish that there weren't so many people dealing with this stuff, but like it gives me hope that we can try to encourage people and, um, and be there for them because I just think sometimes your own brain is just too consumed with other things to like Mm -hmm. give you that hope. And sometimes you need somebody else to like be that voice of hope. So I want to be that for people. Yeah. What if, um, what have you learned through through sharing your own story? Yeah, um, a couple things. Like the first was just that it was less scary than I thought it would be. Mm. Well, it was scary to first tell it publicly, but it's never been my anxiety and depression and mental illness. Like has never been something that I've kept secret. Mm-hmm. Like my family's known. Um, my friend, usually my close friends are aware, um, but it was also never something I talked about publicly. And I had a previous poor experience um, with, you know, sharing about um, my mental health challenges with with a coworker, a manager at a previous place and just didn't go very well Mm -hmm. um, and just made things hard and kind of increased that anxiety. So when I was with the Vikings, like, I mean, this is my dream job. Like when I got the job in 2015, it was my dream job and I can still say that. And so I had this fear of like, well, if people know that I deal with anxiety and depression, like they might think differently about me. Um, even if they don't think they're thinking differently, they might be afraid to give me certain projects or can she get this done or will she be able to handle it? And so mm-hmm. with the exception of my coworkers, like knowing that I have a fear of flying, which is a very specific thing, I never really talked about any of the other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I went through that really hard time, in 2020, I got to the point where I had to communicate it because I wasn't functioning. I wasn't working. I couldn't just keep acting like I had COVID because there was more stuff going on. And it was very, very scary. But the support system through work, um, through the organization, through just other people, strangers, like after hearing my story was so incredible and just reminded me that like people do care and people want to be there for people, even when they're going through their own crap. Because I think so often we can think like, well, are my problems really that big of a deal? Or, you know, like you and I have had this conversation. Like, I'm like, well, I don't want to like cause you anxiety by like sharing about my bad day. And we can get so into that pattern. And I think we just need to remember that like people do care um, and people want to be there for us. And, you know, hearing from strangers who have said like, hey, I was having a really bad like suicidal day and I listened to your story and it like pulled me out of that. Yes. Like that to me is crazy and intense. And I am just like thankful that I have an opportunity to share my story. And last question I have for you. Um, and this is question is never meant to ignore or negate the struggle. Mm -hmm. And what do you, what, what has, what you have experienced and continue to experience, um, what has it allowed you to share with the world or, or, or or what, um, what strength does Mm -hmm. it, does it give you? I think part of it is a little, what we talked about, like just, um, the fact that I do feel things really deeply, like, Sometimes that's really hard for me, but other times I do feel like maybe I'll 
pick up on something that someone is feeling or experiencing that maybe is just super subtle, but because I've experienced something similar or, you know, whatever, like I can maybe connect with that person or be able to help. So that's been really encouraging to me. Um, and there are days where people say like, Oh, you're really strong for sharing your story or you're strong for dealing with this. And like, there are definitely days where I'm like, what? Like, no, like there are people who deal with so much worse levels of this. And, you know, but then there are days where I'm like, you know what? Like, yeah, like today, just getting through today was hard, Mm -hmm. just like a regular day. But like, I come out feeling like stronger for getting through it. And so like, I think it creates strength. It creates um, a better understanding and empathy for other people. And like, honestly, like to me, that's the biggest strength of just being able to connect with people on a different level. Well, my friend, thank you. For, for doing this. Um, I should have pointed this out at the beginning. You're wearing a Randy Moss sweatshirt. <laughs> um, so we need to get you off to work. <laughs> Casual Fridays. <laughs> Casual Fridays. I love that so much. Yeah. But um, just thank you for being you. And and I hearing your story and, and all the conversations that we've had over the last few years um, have helped me feel less alone. And so I just want to thank you for that. And um, just keep being you. Well, thanks, Brian. I appreciate your friendship so much. A big thank you once again to Lindsay for joining us here on the podcast. Um, I just so appreciated that conversation. And I know that that every time that Lindsay has the courage to, to be open about what she's going through, um, it helps me feel less alone. And, and I hope it helped you feel a little bit less alone here today as well. Um, want to mention quickly, um, I have another breathwork offering coming up in November. Um, I held uh, an offering here in in October last week that was um, just such an honor to guide. Breathwork has been such an amazing tool in my own life, has been so helpful, and it's it's really just a gift to be able to share it um, with other people. And so um, if you were not able to make it to the last one and you are interested in in practicing breathwork, learning more about it, um, I have the next one coming up on November 16th. And it is, uh, it's virtual, it's online, so you can tune in from anywhere. But uh, I'm going to have a link in the show notes of this episode of where you can um, learn more about that and register. And just want you to know that that's there if, uh, if that's speaking to you. So my friends, be gentle with you over there. One moment, one step at a time. I know for me, it always seems to come back to that. Just one moment at a time. And... Um, just so grateful for you. And uh, we'll talk soon. Okay. Be gentle, my friends. Also, just a reminder that this podcast is not meant to replace work with a therapist. And so if you feel you need it, I encourage you to reach out to a trained mental health professional. All right. We'll talk soon.